We're going to talk about the return of the king. Uh, Would you stand with me? And let's read three passages of scripture from three different books in the Bible. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And then from 2 Peter, okay, yeah. No, go, go right ahead. I, don't, don't mind me. Uh, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And from Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that does not disappoint. I thank you, Lord God, that you have made promises and you keep all of your promises. I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to to each heart, to each spirit, to each soul that's here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, I want to be real fundamental today. I want to just kind of get down to uh, the bare essentials. And let's start with this. What, what must you believe to have eternal life? Now, you have to believe. You have to have faith to have eternal life. You can't earn it. There's no way that you can earn it because um, you're not that good, quite frankly. Uh, when you stand before God, if you're going to stand before God based on what you have done, uh, the only thing you have to do to be able to qualify in that situation is be perfect. And all of you have blown it already. I'm quite confident of that. And if you don't think that you have blown it already, you just blew it by thinking you hadn't blown it already. It's that simple. But there is another way to be able to stand in God's presence, and that is through faith in Christ. Now, what do you have to believe? Well, uh, the essentials are, as Rodney Boyd says, the DBR. Nothing more. Nothing less. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he was resurrected. That's what you believe. And it's that simple. The gospel is that simple. But it doesn't take us long to start complicating things. In fact, we often start complicating things before people even get in, uh, in, into the door. Uh, we begin to complicate it. And once they get in, boy, we really start complicating because we've got all kinds of ideas about everything, even the table of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, is this... excuse me, is this the literal body and blood of Christ or is this symbolic? Is this something that uh, it takes a special uh, person to be able to preside over or can anybody preside over? Well, how often do you do it? Is it supposed to be weekly or monthly or quarterly or or daily or high holy days or or whatever? Uh, Just all all kinds of things. And even if you you, uh, agree on how long you're, um, you know, how often you're supposed to do it and that anybody can do it, then it is symbolic. One cup or a bunch of cups, you know, and there's just all kinds of things for us to argue about, and so we start doing it. And that's even before we get to baptism. You know, do you have to be water baptized uh, to be saved? And are you really water baptized if they don't put you all the way under? You know, if they just sprinkle you or something. And do you have to take lessons and, and, and pass catechisms and stuff before you get baptized? Or you, should you get baptized as soon as you start believing? I mean, there's just all kinds of things. And it certainly doesn't even end there when it comes to, uh, uh, to authority. Uh, we're basically... Uh, in, in the camp, most Protestants would be in the camp 
that certainly places the Bible as the supreme authority, but there's a large group of Christians in the world who follow a thing called apostolic succession, uh, which isn't mentioned in the Bible, but which predates the canon of the New Testament. So, you know what? No wonder they're not buying what we're selling. Because we're selling and we're supposed to be giving is one reason. That was, boy, that was good. And that was just off the cuff. Yeah. But we, but we, but we complicate things. Here, I have got my opinions about these things. But here's what I know. Paul said to the Corinthians, I passed on to you that which was of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. First importance, this is, this is what you have to believe for eternal life, according to the Bible. Well, after the issue of eternal life gets settled, one of the, the next big issues that tends to come up for people is the is the second coming. And once you start talking about the second coming, you really start getting in choppy waters at that point in time regarding, you know, what, what people believe. Uh, is, there, is there a rapture? Well, it, it, that word's not in Scripture, but the catching away of the church is in Scripture. Well, when does it happen? Is it pre-trib or is it post-trib or is it in the middle of the trib? And for those of you who don't know what a trib is, it's 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 a it's a trib, it's short for trib it's it's Christian slang for tribulation, you know we Christians we got we're down with stuff, uh, and, and and when it comes to the um, when Christ returns I mean what what's this millennial thing has the millennium already taken place will it happen in the future is there no such thing as the millennium I mean there's all kinds of places that that and you know what none of those things matter when it happens. You know, if it comes, you know, if there's this big tribulation and we all go through it and go, oh man, there's tribulation, is all happening. And then Christ comes back, you know, when he comes back, I promise you the post-tribbers aren't going to be going, in your face, pre-tribbers. <laughs> See, we told you, we told you you were going to have to prepare for this. When, when the millennium takes place, you know, it, there's not going to be, yeah, you know, that's, that's us. We, we're right. We knew. No wonder so many in the world just dismiss the whole thing. Here's what I know. I know that he will return. That's what I know. He'll return, and none of these arcane points of doctrine are going to matter in the slightest, and he will return, and we will be stunned by what it means, by what will take place. He will return because he said he was going to return. Over in uh, John chapter 14, he said, uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So I, he said, I'll, I'll come for you. You ever been stood up on a date? Well, we didn't have anybody admit it in the first service. <laughs> God doesn't stand you up. He says he's coming back. For you, he's coming back for you at just the right time. Over in Mark uh, 13, 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That phrase, the Son of Man, most of us are familiar with that. I, I've, I've got something I want to remember that because I've got something I want to touch on that here a, a little bit later. 
Jesus used it to refer to himself often. Uh, Matthew 24, 7, For his lightning comes from the east and is visible even to the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. When he comes, everybody, everybody will know it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, don't be disturbed by people who, who come along and tell you that this has already happened. It hasn't already happened. When it does, nobody will have to tell you this is it. When it does, nobody, you know, it's not going to be like, well, was that it? You know, have you ever gone to a fireworks display and, and about, <laughs> you know, you get a few minutes into it, you go, yeah, okay. And then it ends. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to be going, is that it? No, everybody will know. Every, every eye will see him. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. And nobody's going nobody's to have to explain, oh, that's Jesus coming back. No. And then when Jesus left the first time, the angels, who were the first ones to proclaim the gospel to us, I bring you good tidings of great joy. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Well, they also proclaimed this message to us. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's what I know. He's coming back. Now, what I don't know and what nobody else knows is when it's going to be. But about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And that's a good thing. As I was saying a couple of weeks ago, if we knew when it was going to be, we would do stupid stuff. You know, if we knew, well, you know, he's not coming back till next week, I'm probably going to live the whole week. I'll just wait till then to get right. Oh, he's coming back next week. I don't have to pay my credit cards off. And it's Christmas. Let's just go with it. But even more, if, if Arwen and I are wired alike, Arwen's our oldest daughter, uh, and uh, we're wired alike, we, we like to anticipate what's coming. We, we like to, you know, be excited about, you know, ooh, yeah, this is coming up. And, you know, if we've got a trip or something on the, on the horizon, we like to talk about it and think about it and, and just get all ready for it. Now, not everybody's wired that way. Uh, some people are wired in such a way as to go, no, I don't want to do that because it might not happen and then I'll be disappointed. Yeah, you'll be disappointed, plus you will have missed out on all the enjoyment of getting there. You see, if it doesn't happen... Okay, it didn't happen. Yeah, we're disappointed, but man, did we have a great three weeks thinking about it. <laughs> did we have a great time planning for it, looking forward to it. And that's what the Christian life, you know, God didn't say, well, it's going to be on this day because every day is supposed to be, a, in the Christian life, is supposed to be a day of anticipation, a, a, a day of, of, of waiting and looking and, 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 and hoping and going, wow. There's, there's something could happen today. It's not just the special days. In fact, it's going to be, according to the scripture, on a day when people don't think it might could happen. You know? Come like a thief in the night. So anyway, what will his coming mean? Let me, let me jump into this. There is a fearful aspect to his coming. And probably the most fearful aspect to it is the fact that everything will change. Everything will change. 
And we have a tendency to think, oh, well, yeah, change. Yeah, we need change. Let's, let's, you know, we vote for that every four years or two years or whenever it is we vote. You know, we won't change. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> Saw a, a, a cartoon that I almost put up here, but I, I'll just tell you about it. This guy is, uh, uh, was walking by and, and, and all these political signs were up, you know, vote so-and-so for change and so-and-so for change and so-and-so for change. And the guy was out walking his dog and looked at the sign and he goes, oh, same old, same old. We don't even know what change. Everything will change. Kingdom upside down. Jesus said those, there are those who will be last, who are last now, who are going to be first. There are those who are first now, who are going to be last. And, and you know, we have a tendency to, to sort of go, yeah, boy, that sounds good to us. Who do you think's first now? Who's number one? On a national level, on a personal level, the rich and the powerful are not often the same group of People as the pure and the innocent, very rarely, kind of go, well, I'm not rich and powerful. If you make $35,000 a year, you are in the super elite of the world's income earners. Everything is going to change when he comes. And his coming will involve a pretty terrible event initially. Uh, this is a, a place in northern Israel. It's called the Plain of Megiddo. And uh, actually, I'll put it here on a, a little bit bigger map for those who are geographically challenged, uh, and then I'm going to uh, do my, my surgeon's hands again. Uh, the, the little red dot there where the green dot is -hoo -hoo -hoo, dancing around, that's a plain of Megiddo. Um, this big black thing up here, that's the Mediterranean. There's Egypt. There's uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's uh, uh, Lebanon place called Syria, another place just right over there called Iraq, uh, Iran. And uh, it's going to be a big battle there because that, the other name for this place is Armageddon. And the, the scripture says that the world's armies are going to gather together to fight against Christ when he returns. Well, why in the world would they do that? Why would they fight against Christ when he returns? I mean, everybody wants Christ to return, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not if everything's going to change. The entrenched powers certainly wouldn't want him to return. And I think we're being set up. Now, you know, this is, this is just, this is just me thinking. But over the last um, couple of decades, uh, you know, I've noticed that uh, we're kind of used to the idea of the earth being invaded. We're kind of used to the idea that when the earth is invaded by an alien or aliens, then all of the peoples of the earth join together and... Let's go, let's go fight the bad guy who's coming to try and take us over. Yeah, I know you're going, well, that's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, of course it's ridiculous, isn't it? We're kind of conditioned to begin to think like that. But you see, the issue is when he returns, that's not an alien. That's the son of man. That's the one who the first time he came, came to his own and his own did not receive him. And you say, well, how are all the armies of the world going to get together to fight against him coming back in that one particular place. Well, maybe because they're kind of like already there, because they're kind of like already deployed, U.S., Europe, Russia, Al-Qaeda. They're, they're there. Yeah. And a big battle takes place. Revelation 19, 19 through 21 says this, Then I saw the beast, that would be the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and uh, with it, the false prophet who had performed uh, signs on its behalf, the rest were killed with the, with the sword coming out of the mouth 
of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. Uh, you know, I don't know that there would literally be like a real sword coming out of his mouth. I, I think this could be a little metaphorical here, but I know that, that there was a time when that same mouth spoke and said, let there be light, and there was. Creation took place. And so I have no problem with all that mouth needing to do is say a word and the battle's over. The battle's been won. And his coming brings wrath, Revelation 6. And the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? You know, we can understand why the rich and the mighty would maybe be consumed by fear because everything is getting ready to change. Everything's getting ready to be turned upside down. But what about all these others? I mean, that's, that sounds like regular, regular people. I, I think the key is in this phrase here. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Uh, Isaiah 53.3 says that he is like one from whom men hide their faces. And if you've been here for a long enough time, you've heard me share about this before. Uh, yeah, I got time. Uh, half of you've heard this, but it's still, it's just too great a story. Uh, Don Fentel was sharing, uh, he, he was pastor at Belmont Church up in Nashville. And uh, during the days when it took off and uh, all the hippies and everybody were, was coming to his church, it, it, was, it was cool. It was, it was a great place to be around. And uh, one day Don was, was out uh, riding around in a neighborhood and he saw uh, he, and he knew that one of the young men at the church uh, lived nearby, and he was going to stop and see him. He said, well, I'll just stop in and see him. That'd be great. And when he got there, there were a bunch of cars there. And he recognized a bunch of them. But these are a bunch of young people. Go to my church. Great. Goes up to knock on the door. But he goes up to the door, and first of all, he was just going to walk in, but it's locked. And so he knocks on the door, and he hears the silence that ensues from inside. And in the midst of the silence, he hears it's done. Put it out. <laughs> and so Don kept knocking on the door, and apparently they put it out because the door got open. The room was filled with sweet perfume. <laughs> and Don walked over to the guy whose house it was, and, uh, you know, and the guy's just, oh. Because, you know, that's really what you want, is your pastor to show up for your little social gathering. And, uh, and Don said, look at me. And the guy went, oh. Don said, no, no. Look at me for a very long time. And when he finally got the guy's attention, he said, if you can't look in my face, how can you possibly look in the face of Jesus Christ? When you've wronged someone, you don't, want to, you don't want to be around them. You ever wronged somebody? You have. You may or may not know it. Yeah. And you may very well know it. And unless God's done a work in your life, they're not who you want to run into at the grocery store. And that's just the, the tiniest little smidgen of what it would be like to look into the face of the holy God as his, at his appearing. Like one from whom men hide their faces. Because regardless of who you've wronged, there's only one you've sinned against. And that's your creator. His coming will also bring about 
destruction. 2 Peter 3.10-12 through 12 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything uh, done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't, how that, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that happens. But I do know that there's another verse after this verse. And the other verse after this verse says, But, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, everything's going to be laid bare. Everything's going to be changed. There's going to be this great battle. Everything's going to be turned upside down. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. The heavens are going to disappear. But we're looking forward to it. And we ought to be. See, uh, like I say, I don't know, on, on a scientific, engineering, uh, chemical, biological level, I don't, know how that, I don't know how that can possibly happen. I mean, what's going to, is he just going to transfer us to a parallel dimension or something and, or put us all in the TARDIS and send us off while, you know, the, all this stuff gets done? Or, you know, will the earth be repristinated or will it just be a, a, obliterated and, and a whole new thing come in? I don't know. But on a, a poetic, artistic, human level, I do know what this means. This is going to be the home of righteousness. You know, there are a lot of words that have been co-opted by particular groups. And oftentimes, we're, you know, we're not happy about some of the words that some of the groups co-opt and use for their own. But the church has co-opted some words and, and made them into not such great things either. And righteousness is one of those things. Because it's, it, 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 it has a tendency to be associated with austere uh, living and, you know, dressing uncool and, you know, being uh, not going places and not doing certain things. It's not what righteousness means. Righteousness means whatever it is, God's way of doing things. That's what righteousness means. Because whatever he does is right. And so that's righteous. That, that's what righteousness is. And this is going to be the home of where, what God does rules. What he says is right, is right. And what that means is several things. In the new heaven and the new earth, seven things real quickly. I think it's seven. I don't know if I miscounted. Forgive me. No more oppression. A, a, a place where there's no more oppression. The oppressors will be shattered like clay pots. The, the physical bullies will be shown for the cowards that they are. The, the spiritual bullies will be shown for the, the, the phonies that they are. And there are spiritual bullies. No more oppression. No more, no more manipulation and, 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 and putting someone under your thumb, forcing them to do things. No more exploitation. You know, there's a saying, money makes the world go round. It's, it's really exploitation makes the world go round. The world system go round. You use other people. That's what the world system is all about. That's why it needs to be destroyed. That's why it needs to be turned upside down. And we're part of it. I mean, we're part of it just by living in this world. You know, I don't, I don't want to make anybody, you know, feel bad or anything. And I don't want to make me feel bad because, you know, I go and, and buy clothes at places and look for a deal and everything and think nothing of the fact that, you know, basically slave labor created that. What are you going to do? There's not a lot we can do about it right now. We can maybe do some things about it. But there's not a lot we can do about it right now. But there is a new world coming in which place that won't take place. Women and children will not be exploited by men anymore. And that's been happening for millenniums in this world system. 
No more oppression, no more exploitation, no more fear. The fear mongers will be out of business. They'll no longer be able to use fear to buy your vote. For one thing, you don't get to vote. Yay! But even if you did, they wouldn't be able to stir up your fears to be able to get, you know, they won't be able to, to, to use your fears to get advertising dollars because so many people are watching to, you know, get, get, a, get a good fright, either a fake one or a real one. When Margaret and I were uh, coming back from Zimbabwe back in the late 80s, we spent a couple of nights uh, with, with the kids, we, we spent a couple of nights in, in Singapore. And, uh, and Singapore is an unusual place, and it's, a, you know, it's a pretty oppressive government, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a good oppressive in that, you know, they don't have any drug problems, the place is clean, it's, uh, <coughs> excuse me. But one of the things that, I mean, the thing that I'll never forget about that place was I really felt like, and Margaret did too, and, and the kids did too, I really felt like that she or our kids could go anywhere, any time of the day or night in that city and be completely safe. You know what that feels like? No, you don't, unless you've been there. All you can do is imagine it. What about a whole world that's that way? What about a whole world where there, where there is no fear, no more hunger? A billion people on this planet go to bed hungry every night. No more. In the new heaven and the new earth, God is the one who feeds the hungry. No more despair. No more dead-end lives. No, no more lives reaching a place where they go, there's just nothing to live for. There's just, there's, there's just no, I can't get done what I need to get done. I have no dreams. I have no aspirations. They've all been destroyed. They, they've all been wiped out either by somebody else or by what I've done to my life. Despair. It's not necessarily the order of the day on this planet, but the only reason why it's not the order of the day is because God's general grace, prevenient grace, is present on this planet. If it weren't for that, it would just be despair. But when he appears and there's a new heaven and a new earth, no more despair. No more more crisis hotlines that anybody would need to call on. No more tears. And this is one where I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a little bit of license because uh, there are tears and there are tears. And, and I think there'll be tears, but I don't think, I mean, they won't be the kind of tears that are shed because of grief or loss or pain or suffering or frustration. They'll be the kind of tears that are shed uh, in, the, in, the, in the first service uh, when Mike was, was presiding over communion and was talking about uh, his dad and discovering how much his dad had wanted him. I mean, uh, you, you know, things got, a, things got a little moist there for a while. Those are the kind of tears. Tears of joy. Tears of, oh, this is unbelievably good. But no tears of grief. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. Not just metaphorically, it's going to be passed away. And then no more death. No more death. Yesterday I uh, uh, went to um, hospice uh, to pray with a family. I was going to pray for uh, the father. Uh, but he actually passed away like 5 o'clock in the morning before I could get there. 
Uh, and then I went to, uh, uh, to Mandy to see a man who's got like two or three days, if that much, left and uh, got to share with his, with his mother and everything. You know, and here we do have the comfort of God. We do have the comfort of, of, of his word. And it tells us to not grieve like those who have no hope. In fact, the, the word does, never gives us the permission to grieve. We're to mourn. Mourn brings cleansing. Mourn brings healing. Mourn brings the ability to move on to the next chapter. Grief brings destruction. Grief is overwhelming. And yet this world is so filled with it, and oftentimes because of that, because of death. But, but God has taken the sting out of that. You know, we, we know where our loved ones in Christ have gone. We know that we will see them again. We, when I was young, I used to be afraid of death. Uh, because there was a lot of stuff I wanted to do. Now that I'm older, it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking forward. Come on now. But at the same time, I am, I'm, there's just no fear. It's just kind of like, yeah, when it's time, it's time, and I'm ready. No more death. Over in Isaiah, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament says this, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. And I, and, and I like that last phrase just as much as anything because, uh, yeah, every, every single one of us know what disgrace is personally. He'll remove it. So is this worth it? You know, I mean, all of this, all of this stuff that's going to happen... Should we be looking forward to it and hastening its coming? Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes you have to tear down in order to restore. And if we're always aware of his imminent return, it will change the way we live. It will change the way we act towards each other. It will change our our perspective, our outlook. Despair will not be able to get a grip on our lives. Hopelessness will not be able to get a grip on our lives. Uh, Frustration. That, the level of that goes way, way down because we know he's going to sort things out. He's, it's, I don't have to sort things out. I don't have to make things work. He's going to. He's got this. And the things that really matter will once again matter. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, those things that don't come from a store. And all this, because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Would you stand with me? And with those who are going to minister to people, uh, come forward. If you're here and you need prayer, if you're here and you, uh, and you need Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. You say, man, I just, it, it can't, can't be that easy. He's going to mess with my life. Yeah, he's going to mess with your life, and your life needs messing with he's going to make it a lot better and it is that easy and it's for you you just put your faith in Christ and everything changes for you now uh, but if, you, if you've got any kind of need come forward these brothers and sisters want to pray with you this is a, this is a joyful season but it's also a difficult season for some people so uh, you come. If you don't need to come, worship with us for a few moments. And let's create an atmosphere for those who do need to come.